What? You ever worn a bad pair of glasses? Or maybe the wrong glasses for the wrong occasion? This morning we played a game with our teenagers and I'm gonna ask you to play the game with us. It's a game called Pan or Planet. It's a game about perspective. So here's what I want you to do. If you think this item is a pan, I want you to raise your right hand. You think it's a planet, raise your left hand. So pan, right hand, planet, left hand. All right, let's see what it is, Andy. Pan, perspective, like watching out for a podium. <laughs> perspective. Today we're going to be talking about what glasses we're wearing. Because wearing the wrong pair of glasses can highly influence how we view people. And I believe many of us are wearing the wrong pair of glasses when we approach people. And today we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 4 where we see how this woman, this Samaritan woman, could have been improperly viewed from four different glasses, four different sets of filtered glasses. One, the glasses of race. The second is the glasses of religion and gender, and morality. And before we dive into this text, I think Steve set us up so well when he was praying. We're asking the Spirit of God to move in this place, and Scripture is clear where two or more are gathered in his name. The presence of God is with us. And Genesis 1 tells a story about God speaking into nothing, and the earth comes into being. And I like to view us as a little bit more than nothing, so I imagine what the Lord can do with us as we approach his word that that word of God that we are about to read is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So join me if you're able and standing as we read God's holy word together. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let's pray. God, we come before you, uh, humble, knowing that you want to speak life into us. We come before you knowing that we are, have these improper filters that we view the world through, these improper filters that we view people through, and Lord, we ask that you correct us not just to correct us, but because we believe that you have something more beautiful to offer us. And Lord, I pray that as I speak, that the words that come out of my mouth are from you and everything else fades away. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may take a seat. Did anybody catch where this woman was from? What was that? Sychar, Samaria? Yeah, it'd be really hard not to because in this passage, it literally says Samaria or Samaritan six times. Seven if you count Sychar. And then if you count the other two references to geographical location, the land that Jacob gave to Joseph and Jacob's well, this woman's geographical background is mentioned nine times. I mean, think about it. Her name's not even mentioned. It's basically like this story opens, 
Hey, did you hear about the Samaritan woman from Samaria that I met in Samaria? Yeah, she's from Samaria. And we met in a town called Sakar in Samaria. Oh yeah, and we don't like Samaritans because they're from Samaria, right? And like any tension, any tension of race, where people come from, there is a long-rooted history that we need to understand before we can understand why Jews did not like Samaritans or have anything to do with them. So I'm going to give you a brief history lesson of the people of Israel and why they don't like Samaritans. So Israel actually first was not a nation. It was a person. It was a guy named Jacob. Jacob had this crazy encounter with God in the night. He wrestled with God in the form of a man, and like you would expect, wrestling with God, God won. Jacob ended up hurt, hurt hip. God renamed him Israel, which means he who strives with God. Jacob, or Israel, went on to have 12 sons, which went on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Still at this point, Israel is not a nation. But Israel wanted a king. They saw so many other people with kings, and despite the fact that we just sang a song saying, Jesus, you are my king, for the Israelites, they wanted a physical king. They wanted a person in front of them that they could look to. And so God said, you don't really need that. But eventually, God said, okay, you do you. I'll give you a king. And he gave him Saul. After Saul came a guy named David. And after David, a guy named Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. This was only about 100 years or less into the history of Israel. And at this point, 10 of the 12 tribes rebelled against Rehoboam, creating what is called the Northern and Southern Kingdoms. And I believe you've got a map up on there. So you can see the Northern Kingdom is Israel. That's where 10 of the tribes went to. Two of the tribes were part of Judah. So they began functioning as separate entities. So fast forward a little bit, and one of the bad kings of Israel, one of the Israel kings who was evil, bought land called Samaria which eventually became the capital of the northern kingdom, Samaria. About 730, Assyria, the nation of Assyria, captured Israel, and they fell captive to the nation. And what happened then was that the Jews either were forced to flee the country, or they stayed and they intermarried, which back at this time, that was not really a kosher practice for Jews. Jews were a holy people. They were supposed to be set apart. They weren't supposed to intermarry, but they did. Fast forward to the time we are at this passage in John chapter 4. Both Israel and Judah had fallen victim to either the Assyrians or Babylonians, and both at this point are ruled by the Romans. Samaria didn't function as its own political entity, but Jews didn't like Samaritans for a number of different reasons. One, they represented people who divided their kingdom. They represented these northern 12, 10 of the 12 tribes that left their united kingdom. Also, they were unclean because they married foreigners. There are so many reasons why they didn't like them. Sometimes what makes us different, like with this woman, makes us stand out like a sore thumb. My senior year of high school, I attended a missionary academy in Guatemala, and I got the chance to take part in a debate team called ASIA, which stands for Harvard Association Cultivating Inter-American Democracy. Asia democracy. And we got a chance to go to Quito in Ecuador for a week-long debate tournament. And I was one of two non-Hispanic guys on my team. The whole class was in Spanish, and so I was the least qualified to be there. But you fake it till you make it, right? 
So we get there to Quito and we're like walking around everywhere in the city. And at this time I dressed really cool and I looked really cool. I had long, swoopy hair. Teenagers have seen pictures of that. And because I had white skin and long, swoopy hair, people thought I was Justin Bieber. Yeah, um, and of course, my friends that were with me thought it would be fun to walk around and make a big deal everywhere I went, pretending that I was Justin Bieber so people would come up and take pictures with me. White skin, swoopy hair, and a crew causing a ruckus downtown. Pop star Justin Bieber. Dark skin and a crew causing a ruckus downtown. What do you think of now? Racial tensions are still here today. 94% of US citizens, according to a 2018 NBC poll, think that racism is still a problem in the US today. 64% believe it's a major problem. And 1% one, 1 of the remainder thinks that racism was never a problem. Racial tensions are real. Racism, this is what we're seeing in John chapter four. Racism a word that makes some people want to shut down because we don't want to acknowledge where it is still existent. Racism, a word that brings up dark images of our nation's past filled with white hats and lynchings. Racism, a word that makes us praise people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Reverend James Lawson of Nashville, who stood up against the mayor to say, we will not stand for segregation in our city. Racism a word that still affects our churches today. Why is it that churches are the most segregated place on a Sunday morning after all? This woman's race and geographical background in John chapter four was mentioned nine times. Her name, not mentioned once. How many times do we also introduce people by where they come from and not by their name? Don't get me wrong, our heritage is important, it shapes us. My experience as a white, upper middle class male is very different than that of my African American or Asian or Latin American friends. But where we come from doesn't define us. Where we come from shapes us. People are not defined by where they come from. People are defined by who they come from. And we all, every single one of us, bear the image of God into the world. And what I mean by that, that's a church word we throw around. We bear the image of God. What does that mean? Well, like looking at a beautiful picture, there's something about each and every person in the world that reflects something about our beautiful God that we desperately need to see. Every person that you encounter is an opportunity to encounter the living God. What is your filter? Are you wearing the glasses of race? Do you see someone first through their race? Or do you see them through the image of God? I'm not asking you to be colorblind. I think that's foolish to consider that you can be. I'm asking you to appreciate the rainbow of human diversity. That God chose to reveal himself with a diverse group of people. And that one day, people of every tribe, nation, and tongue will come together to worship God together in spirit and truth. All of us. That's what we look forward to. 
One more example. If I mention a Middle Eastern man, who's your first thought? Think of 9-11? Or do you think of Jesus, a Middle Eastern Jewish radical? Who do you think of? What's your filter? The second set of glasses we can wear is a related one. It's the glasses of religion. I mentioned earlier that the Samaritans were a people of mixed race. They were also a people of mixed faith. You see, when the Assyrians came in with the Jews, not only did they intermarry, but they didn't quit worshiping Yahweh, the God of Israel. They started worshiping Yahweh and some other gods that were not the way. They started worshiping pagan gods. Thanks, Becca. I'm glad you got that. So not only was their heritage, their racial heritage, unclean, religiously they were also unclean. They weren't worshiping the one true God, they were worshiping other gods in addition to them. It's not that they stopped believing in Yahweh, they just also believed in other ways too. Did you know that still today there are many religions that believe in Jesus? I mean, for goodness sake, even the demons believe in Jesus. Even Satan believes in Jesus. Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet. There are people who are Hindu who believe Jesus was actually a God, one of many gods, but still a God. Non-Christians who view Jesus as a good moral teacher, and even many Christians who believe in Jesus as one of many ways to eternal life. There are many people sitting in churches today who do not know Jesus, who have not been saved by Jesus. They may believe in him, or say they do, but if you don't have a saving faith in Christ, it means nothing. Listen, your religion doesn't save you. How often you go to church doesn't save you. Me being a minister doesn't save me. I could get up here and preach the word of God to you and never have a relationship with Jesus. That's not what cuts it. It's not your religion. It's not even where you go to church. In fact, there are a lot of other churches around the world that we can all stand to learn from. Churches that are worshiping God in spirit and truth, and when we come together, we see a more beautiful picture of what God is up to. The third set of glasses is that of gender. This woman's gender is mentioned three times. Three times in the three verses where she is a character in this story. Twice by the author and then once by the woman. I mean, Think about it, her name's not mentioned, and it's not like Jesus doesn't already know this is a woman, you know? She's like, oh, why would you ask a drink for me, a woman from Samaria? And she's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know you were a woman. News to me. (laughs) Also didn't know you were a Samaritan, even though we're in Samaria, right? I mean, why did she say this? Because Jews, and particularly Jewish rabbis, didn't have much to do with women. See, this time in history wasn't particularly favorable to women. And we've still got a ways to go, but I am so thankful that women are viewed more closely to who God has made them to be. I want to tell you a story, uh, and not as a story as projecting this onto the entirety of human race, but as an example of something I believe is of, of a larger issue. This uh, winter, we got a chance to take some students to Passion Conference. And Passion Conference is amazing because we get to worship with people from all different denominations, all who believe in the name of Jesus and lift his name up. And one of the amazing things about Passion Conference is that they have people of different races and genders 
who preach and teach the word of God. And this woman named Christine Kane came up and preached. Kara's down there smiling because for so many of our students, that was their favorite person to hear preach. I mean, if you heard her, heard her preach, if she came here today, revival would probably break out. She's just like a straight fireball, like loves the Lord and is passionate about seeing God move in incredible ways. I think church, the church global has done a disservice to women and to ourselves, honestly, to ourselves for not valuing and appreciating and learning from women, being challenged and inspired by their faith. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that has a long heritage of standing on the shoulders of powerful, godly women. Women like Ruth Dyson, Murtis Owens, Bobby Dunn back there, and so many others. I'm thankful that we stand on the shoulders of godly women. May I remind you, who gave birth to our Savior? It was a woman, a teenage woman, probably 12 or 13 years old. So maybe some of us need to stand on the shoulders of some of our teenage women. May I remind you too who Jesus chose to reveal himself to when he resurrected. It wasn't men, it was two women. And at this time, a woman's testimony wouldn't even be valued in court. But Jesus said, you are the people I want to spread the good news first. So let me just speak to the women here. If you are ever wondering or doubting what God can do through you because you're a woman, I challenge you to consider, what can God do through you because you're a woman? The last set of glasses is one of morality. This woman had a mixed faith, a mixed race, was not necessarily the person you'd consider the best of all people. We find out later in the passage that she was living with a man who wasn't her husband, and in fact, that she had already had, not four, five husbands. Five husbands before, and she was on number six who wasn't even her husband. It's a little scandalous. I don't know if anybody in here is on number six yet, but if so, there's hope. There's definitely hope. <laughs> Commentator D.A. Carson said that the reason why this woman likely came alone and at noon to draw water from the well was because she was ashamed. You see, at this time, women usually went together to go draw water. And they usually went in the morning or in the evening, not in the heat of the day. That doesn't make any sense. This woman was probably at the well because she was ashamed. And Jesus could have easily said, because you're a person of mixed race, because you're a person of mixed faith, you kind of worship Yahweh, but you kind of worship these other gods. Or because you've had five husbands, you live with this other dude. I don't want you to touch the water. You'll make it unclean. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Jesus didn't say that. Do you know what he said? Give me a drink. He said, you, I know you're a Samaritan woman, I know you're past, I know you're present, I know all those things, but you have something I need. Jesus said that. You have something I need. I need a drink. And that water you got there, it looks really good. Can I have a sip? Maybe today we need to learn to stop looking through the filter of people's sin and start seeing them as people who show us something unique about God. Listen, don't get me wrong, Jesus never affirms what this woman is doing, not once. But he's not worried about it defiling him 
or making him unclean. In fact, he goes on to take that metaphor of water and tell her, it's, I'm going to make living water, water that is far better than what you can imagine. And maybe today, with you, where you are, you need to hear that message. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done or if you're even currently doing it. There's hope in Jesus. Not hope to stay the same. Hope for change. Hope for a future. Hope for your present. That's what we find in Jesus. And maybe some of you, too, need to remember, even your good works aren't what define you or make you a good Christian. Listen, Scripture tells us our best attempts at righteousness are but filthy rags. Your works aren't going to make you a better Christian. Jesus does that. Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. And we get our perspective right, and we start to see that in Christ we're new creations. Then we can start living righteously and living for the right reasons. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus flipping over the tables. He didn't flip over the tables on this woman who was living with this sixth guy in her life. You know he flipped the tables over on? The Pharisees, the religious leaders who got so caught up in their morality that they forgot about grace. The religious leaders that got so caught up in thinking that they had everything right and being clean. He flipped the tables over on the religious leaders. Just take the pressure off. You can't earn it. Your morality doesn't save you. So at this point, I've given you four types of filtered glasses, but I'm not giving you these types of filtered glasses just so we can take them and throw them away. I believe God wants us to see something far more beautiful. I think he wants us to filter water. It says in John 4, 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to. This wasn't just a geographical thing because he was going from one way to another, which he was. The word had to comes from a Greek word, dei, which was used in John chapter 3 when it says he must increase and I must decrease. Dei connotes, denotes a divine intention. God said, you are to go cross these boundaries. In the same way, I think God is inviting us all, not just inviting, but calling, calling us to stand in the gaps. But it also doesn't stop there. You know, I mentioned earlier a story about a guy named Jacob in the Bible. Jacob who wrestled with God through the night and ended up with a hurt hip. Jesus in this story isn't just saying I can cross moral boundaries. He's saying, listen, I'm the true and better Jacob. Unlike Jacob, I'm not just the father of an ethnic heritage. I'm inviting people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to come be a part of my family. I'm crossing every single one of those boundaries that you have up, every single one of them. And unlike Jacob's well, that's only meant for a certain group of people, my well is open. And you don't have to go here every single day to refill my well. It's a living water. The word that's used for well is a word in Greek called pege. It's also a spring. And Jesus goes on to say that that living water will spring forth within those who are found in Christ. Yeah, that living water that springs forth within. Maybe today you need to be reminded that the water we have access to isn't the water that you have to go and work so hard to get. The well that's been dug for us has already been dug. <laughs> Jesus did it. 
2,000 years ago. That living water springs forth within us and renews us and offers us hope and joy and purpose. That's what we look forward to. But Jesus doesn't just stop here at being the true and better Jacob. He's also true and better Israel. His people come from everywhere. And more than that, Jesus is the true and better Elijah. Did you catch that reference? In the book of 1 Kings, there's a story about a prophet named Elijah in the period where Israel, the northern kingdom, was operating as his own thing. And there was an evil king named Ahab. And Elijah did this really cool thing where he called a drought upon the land of Israel, which I kind of wish Elijah was around now to stop all the rain that's been happening, but it seems like maybe if he's around, he prayed today because it's beautiful. But he called a drought. And after he did that, God called him, said that he had to go to a foreign land, and so he did. And when he's there, he asks a woman, give me a drink of water. I'm thirsty. And after she does that, he says, well, can I have something to eat? To which she responds, well, I don't really have anything to eat. I'm actually going to go home, and me and my son are going to die. <laughs> it's like, all right, geez, like, I didn't mean to open up that can of worms. I was just a little bit hungry. <laughs> but Elijah ends up in go, going back with this woman and her son and lives with them. The son falls ill, and he dies. And Elijah, being broken over it, goes, takes him up to his room and lays over the boy. Not once, not twice, but three times, and prays that he will come back to life. And the boy rises up from the dead. Jesus hears the true and better Elijah. Like Elijah, he crossed boundaries. Like Elijah, he was a prophet, but he was far more than a prophet. Like Elijah, he offers to raise us from the dead. But unlike Elijah, that raising from the dead isn't just for this earthly life. Jesus offers to lay over us and cover us with his blood to offer us hope in a future. That's our hope. That's our future. That's what we look forward to. And that's what we have access to. We have access to that. The true and better Jacob. The true and better Elijah. I want to wrap up today by giving you four brief implications and challenges. Now what? Now what do we do? Number one, Filter water, don't wear filter glasses. Every person, regardless of whether or not you're wearing glasses, is made in the image of God. Every single person. The question is, do you see it? Do you see how God wants to show you something unique about himself to people who aren't like you? Listen, I've gotten to hang out with a lot of students who aren't like me recently at Hillsborough High School. And I don't even know a lot of their faith, but they've taught me so much about Jesus. They've taught me he's kind. They've taught me he's resilient, and I can operate in his resilience in hard times. They've taught me that he's worth it, and that my hope isn't just based on things in this earth. They've taught me so much. So the challenge is for us to stop viewing people as other than and start viewing them as people who offer something other than what we already know about Jesus. Second challenge, learn from others. We so often approach things like we are the only ones with something to offer, but what if instead we approached people and approached conversations like you have something to offer me that I, I need. 
You show me something about God that I haven't seen before, and I'm really curious about it. Also, from a practical perspective, people won't listen to you until you listen to them. Listen first, and then speak. That's even what Jesus did. Jesus asked more questions than he gave answers in Scripture. Three, use the living water principle. This is really important for evangelism. Listen, later on in this story, Jesus, like I said, goes on to say, I am the living water, after asking this woman for a drink. He doesn't say, I'm the bread of life. It's like, okay, cool, like I said, I was thirsty. Like, I don't get where that metaphor is coming. He says, what you're looking for here, I see that there's actually a deeper need. You're working hard and you're feeling ashamed because of where you come from, because of what you've done. I offer living water that will make you never be thirsty for those things again. Use the living water principle. And lastly, trust God wants to redeem and use all of you for his glory. Our God's in the business of reconciliation. He takes broken things and turns them into something beautiful. He takes death and makes it into life. And like this woman's mixed faith, mixed race, and very questionable past, God wants to use all of those things for his glory. So despite where you come from, despite what you've done, don't doubt the power of God to resurrect. What if we actually believe that God can take what man intended for evil and turn it around for good? What if we actually believe that? How much more vulnerable would we be? How much less hypocritical would we be? It's, it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect after all. In closing, it's not a, we're not talking about affirming people so they can stay the same. We're talking about affirming the image of God to help them develop into who God has made them to be, which can only happen through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good. Thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you move amongst us. Thank you that your presence is here with us. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you transform us to look more like you. And Lord, like removing weeds, I pray that you remove weeds in our life, things that distract us from being who you've called us to be and develop us in the people you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe for you, you've never experienced this living water. If you want to know more about it, I would love to talk with you. Maybe you're convicted, uh, as I am, even in preparing this message of ways that you use improper filters to judge people. Bring it to the altar. Bring it to the Lord. I'm going to invite Sarah Collier and Jen Bennett to come up here, too, if you need someone to pray with. Both of these women are godly prayer warriors. I invite you. Come and pray with them as we sing. <laughs>